Welcome in, everybody, for today's episode of the Authority Podcast on the B Podcast Network. It's my pleasure today to be joined by Dr. Karen Dudek Brannon, a licensed speech language pathologist, and she also has a doctorate in special education, a special education director license, and an assistive technology graduate certificate. She's the founder of Dr. Karen LLC. And with that company, she focuses on empowering educators to support language, literacy, executive functioning, and cognitive wellness. She also spent 14 years in school systems before starting this company. So welcome to the episode. Thank you so much for having me. So Karen, we're talking about a couple of things here today, right? So one yeah. is you are the host of a podcast, De Facto Leaders, right here on the V Podcast Network. Yes. So I certainly want to introduce some of our listeners here today to what you've been discussing on the show. We also have your executive functioning implementation guide and something new to listeners. Guess what? This is totally free. You can get it on our website. Yeah. Uh, so we're going to talk about some of that content and then kind of give you a sense of what's in there, what you can gain from that, and then where you can access it. Karen, let's talk first about de facto leaders. Why don't we get right to it? So we have folks listening to this podcast. And so we got podcast listeners in the audience. So you have 110 episodes, I believe to date. Well, by the time we publish here, you'll have several more, but well yeah. over a hundred episodes. What is your show designed to help with? The show is designed to help people who are working in the school systems, whether it be people who are on the IEP team. So the speech pathologist, the social worker, psychologist, counselor, special ed teacher, really anybody who's directly working with the students to number one, work on those areas that you mentioned. So my area of expertise is language literacy, executive functioning, but also just to help the whole team work together more effectively, whether it be figuring out what evidence-based practice looks like as far as what we're doing with students, but also all those other things that you have to think about when you are thinking about logistically what needs to happen in order for students to be successful. What I always say to my audience is that we can't be siloed off in the way that we provide services. We have to think big picture about what's happening in the school day. So we can't just think about what do I do when this student is in front of me? The question really isn't, what should I do in my classroom? How should I plan my lessons? How should I plan my therapy session? It should really be what does the student need and how do I make sure that they get it? And so sometimes that might be thinking about what you do when your students are in front of you, but sometimes it might mean communicating with a team member, doing other service delivery models like consulting, collaborating, mentoring other people. So other people on your team, sharing information with them, or maybe even talking to your the building leadership and figuring out what you can do from a programming standpoint. So it's really about empowering people to see themselves as leaders, no matter what their job title is. So again, it could be designed to help those people who are directly working with students, but also people who are aspiring leaders or who are currently in leadership positions. Excellent. What do you, what do you like about that podcast format? Because you really do have a variety of different conversations. You cover a pretty wide range of specific subject matter, right? And, yeah. and talk to experts and practitioners that bring a lot of different perspectives to it. In addition to your own uh, experience and expertise, what do you like about that format and the kind of conversations you're sort of able to put together for listeners? So I have always in my life had this issue with, with boredom. I always just, whatever I'm working on, I can get really excited about a lot of different things 
but I like to have that variety. And also I like to look at different topics and see how they fit together. And where sometimes you might look at one topic and one discipline and think this has nothing to do with this thing over here. And I always see a connection. So whether you are talking about a specific strategy that's going to help kids to sound out a word, for example, that's something super specific. So I have some information about that. Like how do we help kids to comprehend more effectively when they're reading? So there's content in that area, but I've also had people come on who are making products for clinicians. So we can talk about market research. I've also talked to people who are working in school turnaround. So how do we consider the needs of the community? And what that's enabled me to do is to, number one, just learn about all kinds of different topics where I'm not an expert or where maybe I am an expert, but I'm hearing about it from a different angle and really just pull all those different perspectives together for people. And I just I always learn from my guests something that I didn't know before. And just to be able to bring that to people and just give this broad range of topics that can help people think differently about the way that they use their skills. And, and again, like I said, I like to pull different topics together and see how they can be applied to how, what we do as teachers, as therapists, as people working in the school. So like I said, it's something that I think really is needed in the field of education if we really want to think creatively about how to solve problems. I, I just find it so valuable to, to just pull all these different ideas together, uh, look at things from different angles, get different ideas. A lot of times I think that when we are in education and when we only are looking at this from one angle and one area of expertise that sometimes we put our blinders on and we we start to think about things in kind of a myopic way and sometimes bringing in an outside perspective, somebody that maybe has expertise in something that's related, but not exactly your area of expertise. A lot of times that can be really valuable in figuring out how to solve problems. I know that in kind of the in the entrepreneur space, they always say, fall in love with the problem, not the solution. And so I think it just helps me to think about things very creatively as far as just figuring out what do we do to help students. Right. And I think as part of that approach, the show presents a, a particular take on leadership. You know, mm -hmm. The name is de facto leaders, and there's a lot of opportunity, challenge, and pathways presented for practitioners in a variety of different roles, regardless and independent of title or, mm -hmm. you know, or they might fit into a, a hierarchy or an org chart to yeah. take on the role of a leader in these essential initiatives and domains. When we talk about supporting learners, you talk a bit about that and the way that you're presenting leadership, who leaders are, and the challenge you're really issuing to everybody in, in those variety of roles to see themselves as leaders. Yeah. So pivoting to the, the guide, it's an executive functioning implementation guide, as we mentioned. And uh, let's start right here. I mean, 
many of our listeners, this may be something they're already familiar with, but some of them may not have uh, quite memorized the executive functioning skills and what they do specifically yeah. and why there's something we're emphasizing. So can you just give a little brief summary to start out with of, of what executive functioning skills do? Yeah. So the, again, this is all in our prefrontal cortex. So those skills that really are not fully developed until we're in our early 20s. So things, the skills that allow us to engage in goal-directed behavior. So to think ahead and make plans based on what from the past so that you can predict what might happen if you take a certain course of action and to problem solve on the spot. So you come up with your plan, you know what your goal is, you work backwards and you figure out what are the steps? How do I start the steps? What is my first, the first thing that I need to do? But then during that process, things happen unexpectedly. So you have to know how to shift and come up with different options. That's called ideational fluency. So coming up with multiple options for solving a problem to self-monitor while you're going through that process to see what was my goal and am I getting closer to that goal? Do I need to modify my plan in the process? And if I do, how do I adjust? And so part of it is breaking those complex tasks down into steps, but also using those skills that help you execute. And then self-regulation is a big part of it. A lot of times with executive functioning, people are very much focused on the external things that need to happen, but really these are internal mental processes. So you have to be able to pay attention to what's going on in the environment and read cues, and then you have to pay attention to what's going on in your own mind and your body. So you have to be able to talk yourself through and use your language to talk yourself through the steps to notice when things are happening in the environment, and then also to notice how you are responding and then how other people are responding to you. In the school setting, a lot of times we see it focused on where, you know, it's a writing assignment where there's a lot of different steps in writing. So we think about just organizing your homework, knowing how to meet deadlines, knowing how to get to class on time. But also just being able to interact in a social situation where there's a lot going on, to be able to read cues from other people and respond to them, to be able to read the room and understand based on what else is happening in the environment, what should I be doing in order to be successful in this situation and adapt on the spot. And with the self-regulation piece, I think where there's some misconceptions is that people don't realize that we are always talking to ourselves to plan, to think ahead. And for some of us who have very well developed executive functioning skills, you kind of take those skills for granted. And I see this all the time when I'm coaching people who are working with kids because they think, oh, well, the kids who are doing this well just memorize it. It's like, no, they've just developed automaticity with those processes. Or they think, well, this student is lazy because they're not doing X, Y, Z. Well, no, they just don't know how to talk themselves through that situation. It's it's hard to, to stay on task if you're not able to talk yourself through it. So that internal self-talk is really important because it becomes so automatic for some of us that we don't realize that other people who don't have well-developed executive functioning skills are not engaging in that internal monologue that's helping them engage in that goal-directed behavior. Yeah, and, and one of the key uh, reasons, as you describe, 
for schools to really care about and pay close attention to executive function and how they it relates to the state of mental health among yeah. students and, and how those two things interact with one another. Can you explain that a bit? Yeah. And so I want to be, I, I talk a little bit in the guide here about how a lot of times the default response when we know that kids are experiencing anxiety about school is that, well, well they need to go to counseling. And so I want to be clear that there are times when that is absolutely what they should be doing and kids should have someone to go to that's a safe person that they can talk to and all of those things. So I'm definitely not saying that counseling isn't something that you should do or that talk therapy is never appropriate because many times it is what kids need, especially if they've experienced trauma. And also um, sometimes that is a component of what they need, but it's not all of what they need. But when it comes to executive functioning and when you think about, so this is what helps us to work through challenging complex tasks and go through and plan in unfamiliar situations and also to talk ourselves through when we're experiencing those learning curves. That is a normal thing that makes most people feel some level of nervousness and anxiety. So to some extent, I mean, that's a normal human response, but for someone who has a hard time visualizing themselves doing whatever the end goal is, or knowing what steps that they need to take in order to get there, and then also having a hard time thinking about a past situation that might be somewhat related to this new thing that they're doing, but but not exactly the same thing, because that's how we're able to, to navigate those novel situations. So if you have a hard time doing that, then this new situation is going to be even scarier for you. I mean, think about a time that you were in a situation and you had no idea what to expect in that situation. It's pretty normal to feel scared. So things that seem like they should be easy and just basic day-to-day -day things might provoke a lot of anxiety mm -hmm. if you're having a hard time with that planning and preparation. And so what gets a little bit challenging is teasing out, do they have anxiety because of, of some mental health issue where they do need to work that out in therapy? Maybe there was some past event that happened or again, something like that, or do they have anxiety because of poor executive functioning? And do we need to make sure that we put supports in place to help them through those things and make sure that we give them a lot of varied experiences so that they can build up those skills that are going to make them feel more confident and less nervous about those situations. And what a lot of times people do is, well, the natural thing is, oh, well, they're nervous and anxious. Do we avoid that? The problem is, is that if you avoid things, sometimes it makes you even more nervous. And so with kids that have these these skills that we need to work on, a lot of times we do need to make sure that we're nudging them out of their comfort zone, but doing it in a way that's supportive. So that's where the kind of teasing out what's really going on can be things that we really need to pay attention to. So, so that's kind of one of the, the bigger misconceptions where people don't always realize that it could be an executive functioning issue. Right. And the relationship between those areas is, is pertinent because also, of course, many school leaders are really uh, intentional about wanting to support students' mental health. It's preparing them for, of course, being healthy, safe, and successful at present, and also being independent and able to continue growing beyond their K-12 years, right? What, what are some of the things 
as you've seen observed in your work that schools are currently doing right in those areas and that are kind of things you would keep and are there other areas that are still pretty much open for improvement so I would say that there are, in, in most situations, people at least know what the problems are. They don't necessarily always draw the connection between what the solution might be. And with executive functioning specifically, a lot of times they're doing part of what they should be doing, but maybe there are some pieces that they could add. For example, one of the things that I see commonly in schools is that they might say, well, we are putting executive functioning supports in place because we're teaching kids to use planners and checklists. So those are important tools and strategies that we can use in order to keep ourselves organized. And I'm using that as an example because a lot of times we are very academic focused. And, and again, having issues with academics can lead to that anxiety and, and stress further down the line. So I think with checklists, it's not that that is a bad strategy. It's just that we have to understand all of the pieces that go into successfully using those strategies. So if you are writing a list of things that you need to get at the grocery store, by the time you're actually writing that list, you have engaged in a lot of internal dialogue and thinking in order to get to that list. So there's a lot that goes on in your head before you get to the physical writing of the list. And then you have to go and use this while you're at the store and adjust because sometimes you think, oh, I forgot to get this or, oh, well, maybe I don't really need this over here. So you, you have to know how to use that strategy effectively. And what sometimes schools do is that they're so focused on the external output that they either do the executive functioning for kids or they don't necessarily put the supports in place in order for them to use the strategy effectively. So an example of that would be Instead of having kids think about what they need to put on a list or to fill out their assignment book and giving them some modeling and support about how they can think through, ask themselves questions, what they'll do is just have them copy it down from the board. And so that's an example of doing the executive functioning for kids instead of allowing them the opportunity to engage in those mental processes. The challenge in schools is that a lot of times it's like, all right, let's go, let's go, let's go. We've got to get through all of these different things in a day. And so I think where we need to find a balance is that sometimes it is okay to just be like, all right, we got to move on. We got to, we've got to move on with our day, but we also need to make sure that we give that time for students to engage in those processes and sometimes let them fail at a strategy. It's what's, we don't always have to just swoop in and help. That's something that I talk about a lot with parents, because again, a lot mm -hmm. of times it's go, 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 let's get out the door. But sometimes it's, it's like, you have to really think about what is the consequence and the worst thing that could happen if I don't jump in and provide the answer or the support here. And, and again, the, by support, I mean doing it for them because there right. is this fine line between providing support and making kids prompt dependent. And that's mm -hmm. when you have issues where kids are trying to, they're in college and they've, the, whoever's been supporting them along the way has unknowingly provided so much support without realizing it because it's just sort of embedded into their habits that they get out and then they they can't do those things independently. So they have to be really aware of how they're 
handling those types of situations. There's a, a lot of different people involved in this, yeah. this process, right? Of supporting executive functioning development, special educators, general ed teachers, teaching assistants, parents, and so on. Can you just give us a general understanding of who are these individuals and basically what are their roles? You know, not necessarily comprehensively all the responsibilities, but how do they fit in? Who's the lead? Who's the support? You know, how are they engaging with one another? What are they doing that might be more independent? So that is a, a very, a very complex question mm -hmm. and one that I have attempted to give some direction, but I always find that it's like, I, I feel like I'm just, it's the tip of the iceberg, but how I see this potentially working is that a lot of the related service providers, so the SLP, the social worker, the psychologist, the counselor, and the roles for those people can vary depending on how the setup is in the district. So there's always got to be that context. But there are people who are those providers who are providing that, uh, that supplemental intervention. And I think the biggest thing that we need to realize is that those roles are, it, it's not just about pulling a student out and doing therapy. Therapy isn't magic. There is a lot you can do with that traditional therapy setting where you're pulling kids out into a group and teaching specific skills, but we've got to get out of that way of thinking as, as that being the sole option. And so where I see a lot of those roles being a little bit more of a, a hybrid situation is having them not just be someone who pulls kids out of the classrooms, but also be a resource and potentially a lead person who is kind of guiding that executive functioning support. And so how that could look could be they are providing some direct therapy to teach kids specific strategies, but they might also be creating resources, trainings, and doing some coaching of people who are in the classrooms. And, and so that would be where they could be more of a, again, emerge into that leadership role on the team. And I started with SLPs because I'm an SLP, but I see the executive functioning person. It really kind of depends on the bandwidth, how it's set up in the building and the amount of training that they've had on executive functioning. So that person who is providing that coaching support could really be any of those people that I mentioned, just because it is an area that has, there's so much overlapping scope when you're thinking about cognition with all of those different clinical areas. So like I said, as an SLP, because I have a background in language and cognition, I, I think SLPs could certainly be that person, but there's no reason that the psychologist couldn't do it, that the social worker couldn't do it. Now, where the teacher comes in, special ed teachers are kind of in this hybrid role where they could be also a person that does coaching in that area where they could be providing a lot of that support because a lot of times a special ed teacher, especially a resource teacher, and is in a position where they're the go-to person where kids are going to them for support with getting their assignments, but then they're also a lot of times co-teaching and in the classroom. So there's an opportunity for them to provide some support as well there. Now with the, the classroom teacher, the general education teacher, this is where I think that the people who are the related service providers really need to think of themselves as, as a support for that teacher because 
they are the ones that are probably seeing a lot of these things because kids are going to their class. They're seeing the students not on task. They're blurting out. They're all of the rest of my class is over here. And this student is always 10 steps behind them. So they're seeing it, but it's hard for them to be able to jump in and provide that support if they have a whole class. So I do see those related service providers as people who can be, be the support that comes in. I see teaching assistants as a huge untapped resources, a, a huge mm -hmm. untapped resource there as well, where they can also be a person who is providing some modeling and support for kids as well, where, where that becomes really important is that that person has to know how to not make kids prompt dependent, because I've seen a lot of teaching assistants who are amazing. I've had some great partnerships with some of the teaching assistants that I worked with when I was an SLP, but I've also seen some that come in and kind of do the work for students just because they're, they want to be helpful and they want to make sure that students are getting all their work done. But we have to be very careful at making sure those people are trained. So I know that that is, it's kind of a big, messy, tangled mess, but what needs to happen is that there needs to be all these different things that happen. We need to figure out what is the structure at the building and how does it make sense to arrange this based on the resources that we have available? And that's why I've tried to coach some of the people that I work with that are members of that IEP team to think about your discipline, but also think about it top down. What are, right. what are the things that need to be in place for students? And how do I arrange all these resources that we have available to us in our particular building so that we make sure that happens? And so sometimes the roles can be a little bit can be flexible. And then the school administrator, of course, is the person mm -hmm. that needs to make sure that this whole team has the access to the time, the training, the support with just developing systems and operating procedures so that people can figure out how do we make this happen? Because that's right. probably the biggest objection that I get when I say, oh, well, it's not just about what you do in therapy. It's And then they think, how the heck do I have time to do all of that? So right. I think the administrator can come in and make sure that they're problem solving with their team to ensure that they have time to talk to each other and that there's systems in place for them to communicate if they don't have a lot of time to meet, which is probably the reality for most people. Right, right. And the, the big takeaway from all of that is if you're listening to this, you're a part of what she's talking about. Right? Yeah, <laughs> you're fitting into one of these roles critical piece of the you know, administration, the school leadership, ensuring that this happens, of creating the environment, the infrastructure to make sure that these IEP teams are inclusive of all these roles that they're meeting, that they're covering everything as they need to, that when you say the untapped potential of teaching assistance, mm -hmm. that there's emphasis put on prioritizing that, of putting the, the TAs in position where they can support the process and it also is going to relate to, of course, the professional learning opportunities of the yes. access, the resources, and bringing everybody into the fold on this because it's so crucial foundationally to learning and can really end up being the biggest impact that some of these faculty and staff members are able to have, you know, relatedly, or I guess as a, as a consequence of, of how a lot of schools structure their interventions, you know, follow through either on their IEPs or just additional necessary interventions. Um, many do utilize a, a pull-out model. Mm -hmm. And I think with that, uh, you may 
observe that there are certainly benefits. There's a reason why it's done, but there you know, also some drawbacks, some challenges to that. How do you kind of see that with some of the pluses, but also some of the minuses? And are there ways based on that understanding that schools maybe can expand on it and supplement it with other models where appropriate or look into other ways that are going to enhance the support that they can provide to all the the learners? So especially when you're thinking about the impact on communication and just social situations, that is an area where a lot of people do use a pullout model and they're not doing it effectively. And that's because a lot of times when you have a pullout situation, it is more academic. It's an adult leading the discussion, asking kids questions in a very academic type of format. And when you have that, that's not how a social situation works. It's not as structured and predictable. It's not this, you know, I'm going to ask you a question and you're going to give me an answer. So a lot of kids within that model might be able to tell you what they should do. Like a lot of times the way people do it with social skills groups is it's like, here are some hypothetical situations and what should you do in those situations? And it's again, just answering questions about what you should do. So a lot of kids can answer those questions and then they go out in to recess or to the lunchroom or their sporting event after school or out in the community when they're at the grocery store and they're not doing what they said that they know how to do. And so there's a difference between having knowledge and being able to apply that knowledge. People who have executive functioning issues tend to have a difficult time showing what they know and applying that knowledge because, again, there's so many mental processes going on with reading that situation. So it's not that we need to take away the pullout model. It's not that there is not a place for that, even with the some of the more academic type of executive functioning things, such as using the planners and the checklists and those types of things. But when you're thinking about social situations, we really need to front load as much as possible in the therapy room. So if there's a, if there's like a new situation that's coming up and kids are stressful about it, like maybe they have a sporting event coming up or maybe there's some event at school, we can use that setting as an opportunity to maybe prepare kids. And that doesn't have to be done in therapy. That could be the therapist has given the teaching assistant some strategies to do with the student. And then the right before you're going to the assembly or whatever it is, the teaching assistant is doing that with the student or the special ed teacher or whoever's there in that situation has the tools that they can use to prep students. And then they have to go experience it. And then you want some eyes and ears in that situation. So if the student's getting dysregulated, if you know that they're not using their strategies, you can kind of manage that anxiety and the dysregulation and, and even just be there to see how well did they do. Maybe they did part of it. Maybe they knew how to get started, but then they had a hard time shifting and thinking, noticing that they weren't on track. So now we know, okay, here's where we might need to work on that. And that's something that could be worked on in therapy and then transferred over. So really the way that I see it is we want to think about it as priming and front-loading experiencing and then reflecting because that's really how we function. So the priming and then the review of the situation is something that you want to do outside of the real world situation when it's happening. And, but the real world situation is something that has to happen outside of the structured classroom therapy room or whatever. So we want to make sure that we're thinking about it in those cycles. And there's different ways that that could look because 
again, sometimes the, the review and the priming could be in therapy. It could be right before, maybe again, like I said, you give the teacher something that they can do, or this is something that you absolutely want to do with parents as well. So you want to think about it in those phases and see how we can fit it in to the student's day to make sure that they're getting the support that they need. So I know that there are some districts that do have this on their radar and the district in my town, they actually have an executive functioning specialist and they have kids go to a class to work on executive functioning. And so they're people are starting to move in the right direction. It just, it takes time. So I'm optimistic, but I, I think it is kind of a knowledge thing and just thinking about how you can indicate the, the day embedded in the curriculum and just make sure that people are aware of it. Right. How do behavior and motivation issues fit into all this? If they can also manifest as a result of, mm-hmm. as you referenced, right, academic challenges or um, executive functioning and how these things, but on their own, it, they also prevent a barrier to teaching and learning occurring and occurring to its potential. Um, how, how do they fit in and, and how can schools kind of focus on addressing them through better engagement or other tactics? So if something seems so out of reach that you can never, you have, you truly don't believe that you can do it successfully most people are not going to take steps to work towards that. So if you have a hard time because of, so maybe you've had a lot of really negative experiences at school because you're not able to plan and organize, or maybe the steps seem so vague that it's so scary that it just seems hard to take that first step. And I think that that is a normal response to something that seems unfamiliar. And if you can't really believe and envision yourself being successful with whatever that task is, it's going to be hard for you to motivate yourself to get motivate yourself to get started. And then the other thing that you need to do in order to persist when things are getting challenging is to again evaluate how do I need to shift? How do I need to adjust? Am I getting so frustrated? Do I need to take a second and reset? Um, So talking yourself through that, and then also thinking about things from your past and telling yourself things to talk yourself through it. Like there was that other time that I like, okay, so I could use an example of a sporting event where it's, I have a soccer game today and it's my first soccer game ever, but I used to play basketball and I was able to be successful at that. So I know because of that, that I'm able, that I'm able to be successful in a sporting event type of a situation. And so All of that internal self-talk that needs to happen is those are the skills of motivation. So I think we need to stop thinking of motivation as a personality trait and a, again, like a quality that is something that can't be changed and think of it as a skill-based issue because being able to work through learning curves and being able to self-motivate are skills. So I've seen just so many times when when kids are it's like oh he doesn't care he's lazy like most people want to be successful it's just that a lot of times it's not that they won't do it it's that they can't do it they can't engage in those internal thought processes to know where to start know what steps to take know how to adjust their steps know how to uh, know how to regulate themselves so all of those things are skills and it's not that we don't hold kids accountable. The, the consequences of 
not doing all of those things and not using a strategy need to be real for students because there are a lot of kids who get into college and they have no idea why using a calendar would be beneficial for them. So we do need to allow kids to experience those consequences, uh, but do it in a way that is you know, keeping in mind that this is a skill-based issue. And that is what can, can kind of help us to be, to avoid being overly punitive and mm -hmm. um, assuming that kids are lazy when really it's it's a skill-based issue. Yeah, absolutely. So as we're getting to the, to the end of our conversation here, let's go back to what we were discussing a little earlier around all these roles involved, right? And then we have uh, the important role of school leadership in supporting the process, making sure yeah. it happens. And let's acknowledge that these are, this is challenging work. Mm -hmm. This is, can be frustrating. There's ups and downs. There's times when it takes a while to really wrap our heads around exactly what's going on here and what, what are our answers, what are our solutions. With that in mind, when we have the teachers and therapists who are really so invested in this work, yeah. what, what can their school leadership be doing to really understand what that looks like and and the toll that takes right and then to make sure that they're providing the types of supports that will be helpful to, to sustain the effort right to avoid uh, burnout and just to understand that they are at, at a baseline level understood and supported and that they have you know they have backing for yeah. engaging in this work that is anything but straightforward yeah i am still very much in the thick of figuring out how to do that. I would say that one of the biggest challenges that I have as a person who is in, like I said, really trying to solve this problem is the way that we do professional development. A lot of times I'm asked to come in and lecture for two hours. I gave a six hour lecture last week on language, executive functioning and leadership. And I feel like I barely even explained the problem when it came to the executive functioning stuff. It's like, I can do this language and literacy stuff and tell people what they can do in therapy. But when we start talking about executive functioning, it gets very challenging. So I think that that we as just when we're thinking about the, the way that we do professional development and the way that we handle learning, it's we have to realize that that one and done lecture and leave model mm -hmm. is it's very challenging to change your behavior when you use that model. And so I'm always kind of in the, in the mix when I get those kinds of requests, because I think I, I do want to spread this message. I do want to spread awareness about this, but I also know that if I do this presentation, I might, might be able to help people understand the problem a little bit better, but there it's going to leave them wanting more. So I think that they re we really need to understand, um, and when we're thinking about professional development, that it needs to be ongoing, and we need to get away from just defaulting to that, like, let's fill our PD days with lectures when people have a million things on their mind, and they're only going to be able to apply a very small amount of what they learn in that presentation, if anything at all. And that's why a lot of times when you see these conferences and seminars, it's like the most common complaint is, well, you did, you just talked about theory and you talked about the problem the whole time and you didn't tell me what to actually do. And it's like, if I jumped right to that, 
and started talking about tactical things, it wouldn't make sense and you wouldn't know how to apply it. So that's the balance that I'm always struggling with on the end of providing the support. So I think that we need to realize that we need to move in that direction and there needs to be more of an ongoing professional learning community in order to be able to put this in place. Because again, as a person who is presenting a lot of information out there, I know that when I share it, I'm going to get a million questions about all these logistical things that come up. And I know that I can't anticipate every single thing that's going to happen with this student or that student. There's just so many different ways that this could go. So professionals really need access to that ongoing support to troubleshoot and iterate and problem solve and make it their own and understand frameworks for evidence-based practice, but know how to apply it to their situation. Yeah, well, listeners, we're going to put a variety of links below. We're going to link to Karen's podcast, De Facto Leaders, a link to the Executive Functioning Guide, and um, a few other pieces there. But Karen, um, what uh, can our listeners look out for? What's some of your recent episodes or upcoming on De Facto Leaders? And what other resources should they check out? So obviously, if you want to check out De Facto Leaders, go mm-hmm. to Brandon.com backslash blog. Oh gosh, I just did a whole bunch of interviews this week that are going to come out over the summer that I'm really excited about. There are some episodes on school turnaround and understanding the culture. I have, I I interviewed someone uh, that provides executive functioning support at the college level. So that was a really interesting conversation. Let's see, what else do I have? Uh, Again, there's a lot with just understanding the community and the culture of your building, understanding what how the role of coaching and plays, the role of coaching in helping school leaders, helping the people who are working in the schools. So those are some things that are coming out. Um, Let's see, what else do I have available? If you're interested in the language and literacy component, that is my, the side of my business that I started for speech pathologists, but anybody who's interested in language and literacy is welcome to check that out. That website is drkarenspeech.com. And that's where I have all of my information that's specific to language therapy, vocabulary, and building those language skills needed to support reading comprehension. So I'd say the main places to go would be check out the podcast, check out the website if you're interested in language and literacy, and then also connect with me on LinkedIn. That's kind of my my main social platform where I've been spending the majority of my time. So send me a connection request and reach out and I'd love to, I'd love to connect with you. Excellent. So listeners, yeah, if you click the links below, you can find all the links to, to Karen's podcast on all the channels, or you can search for it in your preferred app. You can also find this executive functioning guide. You can find a free executive functioning training and a whole lot more. So check that all out. Please do subscribe to De Facto Leaders and subscribe to The Authority for more in-depth author interviews like this one and visit epodcast.network to learn about all of our other shows. Karen, thanks so much for being here. Thanks so much for having me. This has been The Authority Podcast, hosted by Ross Romano, edited by Gage Sanderson.